All right, welcome to another Wannabe Entrepreneur, the podcast about what's really like to bootstrap a company. My name is Tiago and I bring you an interview today with an indie maker. His name is Talin Simmons and it's a really cool one. Talin is a successful entrepreneur, indie maker, is the founder of Ghostly, but we'll be talking more about that during the interview. In this chat, I try to focus more on what happens after reaching product market fit and how the success changes your mentality. So it will be a really interesting conversation. You'll get some really nice, interesting tips on how to reach out to people, how to use social media, LinkedIn to find leads. And as well, you will also hear about more philosophical topics and again, how success changes your mindset and changes your perception of yourself. So without any further ado, let's start my chat with Dalin. I would just start by asking you to do a quick introduction about yourself, if that's okay. And, you know, give a little of context to the listeners. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Talon John Simmons. I'm the co-founder of Ghostly, which is a content marketing agency specializing in helping founders and CEOs build personal brands and attract inbound leads through content. We started out just growing people's followings on social media as ghostwriters. But after a while, we started to realize that there's not really a whole lot of value in followers. But there is a large value in brand and audience. And I would differentiate the two by saying mm -hmm. followers are just like a vanity metric of people that, you know, like that follow your brand or your accounts on socials, where audience is people that actively engage. They keep you front of mind. They are hopefully within your ICP or like your avatar of who you're actually trying to attract and speak to. And that's where we really turned our focus as a marketing agency was on audience building to create defensibility against AI to help founders just have more opportunities, like increase their high value network. So that was my start of how I got into entrepreneurship. And your your point on like art, being more of an artist, um, for a long time, I actually had like an imposter syndrome around entrepreneurship because mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not one of those guys who just wants to make a bunch of money and like get a Rolex and drive a Lambo, even though I do want to drive a Lambo one day. It's like one of my, <laughs> my dreams is to like have my dream car. So I'm kind of hypocritical. I could never find the strong enough why to just like make lots of money like some other guys could. But I always loved the idea of artistic impact. Like that has always spoke to me. And the more I've gotten into business, I've realized it's not that I'm not an entrepreneur. It's that I just have different reasons and a different why for being an entrepreneur. Like to me, entrepreneurship is an amazing vehicle for impact. It's an amazing vehicle for like creating something incredible and bringing it into the world, whether it's Elon Musk doing Tesla or it's a musician with an album. Like that's mm -hmm. where the artistic entrepreneurship comes yeah. in. I, yeah. I guess you could say the entrepreneurship is the the how to not starve as an artist. And then the artistic yeah. side is how to have more impact as an entrepreneur. So they're very closely yeah. related. I always thought that um, artists and like musicians, etc., they are also entrepreneurs in a way, right? Because, I mean, they want to be hopefully their own boss. They want to make money for something they create. They need to learn as well how to sell themselves. So there's a lot of connection. There's probably more connection between an, a musician and an indie maker or entrepreneur than a musician and someone that works nine to five, I would say. 
completely agree. And I used to be um, an indie musician. I worked at like a record label in my early 20s, um, building like artistic brands, writing music, figuring out how to market music. And it, like, if you want to succeed and make money in music or anything to do with art, you do have to understand business and monetization and how to find mm. even product market fit. You could call it like music market fit. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, you're completely right. One. Which is something, maybe I would love to hear your thoughts on this because... Even though, yes, it's it's somehow similar and, and musicians also can be considered entrepreneurs. I feel that musician is or making art is something more spiritual. Trying to sell your music sometimes might mean that you need to figure out what works and, and maybe do something that you are not too much into or do some kind of music that maybe it's not the kind of music you would like necessarily to make, but it's just what sells, right? How can a musician lead with this, you know, manage their expectations and what they want to make and, and at the same time, you know, get enough money so that they can live from it? Yeah, this one can be a little bit tricky because I always say that whenever it comes to like business or art in general, if you just want to like do the thing to do it, like for its own sake, then you can do whatever you want. Like if you just want to write music and you don't care about, we'll say, getting the most amount of plays, you don't care about monetization, it's like just write music, have no constraints, do whatever you want, have fun, let it be like an artistic outlet for what you want to create. If you do want to make a living through any type of means, you have to provide value to some type of people who are willing to exchange money like for that value. Yeah. So in music, it's like, okay, what's currently big right now? Like you'll notice that the most successful musicians, as much as they might pioneer a new trend, They also tend to be like working within what the collective masses are like wanting to consume yeah. in any type of music. So ideally as an artist, you want to find a way to appeal to like what's currently working without sacrificing too much artistic integrity. So you want to find like a particular niche that's like you can do both. And I think the luckiest musicians in the world are the ones like Flume who can just do whatever the heck they want and they just happen to be very popular Yeah. Um, by like people are just into it like that's people look at flume as an inspiration but if, if we're honest he's an example of like a survivorship bias where he's like one in a million where he just did the weirdest stuff and it happened yeah. to just work and everybody loved it that's pretty rare that that happens mm -hmm. but that would be the yeah. dream as a musician yeah that's a good point i think can also be again the same with business right like if you like something very niche and it turns out like everyone needs it then Your business is also somehow in connected to that, right? Because not a lot of people like writing. It's also a very niche thing. A lot of people, they prefer like, yeah, I just want to have like an audience, but like writing, constantly having ideas of new topics to share. It's something that a lot of people don't have. You created a business around that, right? So tell me just about the process of like figuring out that you have product market feeds in your business. Yeah, for mine... Um, it wasn't anything too complicated. I just looked at where people were making money and then was like, okay, maybe I can do it better. And you'll hear people like Cody Sanchez talk about this a lot with boring businesses is, okay, just find businesses that are like making money, buy them, and then just use modern marketing techniques or modern business and tech and scale them to like higher profits. So yeah. that's always one way you can just get into any business is, okay, like what markets are like making money and people are doing quite well could I come in and do it either better or different to like capture some of that market? And like even on a big scale, people do that. Look at Instagram launching threads. They're like, Oh, you know what? Twitter is like a, a thing that has this huge evaluation. Why don't we launch threads? 
maybe it's never yeah. as popular as Twitter, but it might be worth like one or $2 billion. Right. So right. even at like a big scale, you see that done. So if, if you're a new entrepreneur who's really struggling with finding like a product market fit, I would say the easiest way to get into business is look at something that you're interested in that is already working for other people and making money mm-hmm. and then just infiltrate that market and do it better. But I guess it also depends, right? Like the, the moment you enter in the market, because if you are in a market that is already very saturated, mm-hmm. how can you compete with someone that is already in the market for years? Yeah, it's a really good question. Like I think about it in terms of like ghostwriting and stuff. And ghostwriting, I would argue, is becoming a bit more of like a saturated market with more and more people getting into it. So people are like, how can I like stand out? How can I get into it? I just think if you're like rigorously obsessed and have more focus over like a 12 to 18 month time frame, like you'll annihilate everyone. Like in ghostwriting for particular or like a marketing agency, if you understand like the platforms and what stuff goes viral, if you understand how to write better hooks and know how to write better copy, if you know what ideas tend to resonate and actually build audiences, if you can have better systems that make it more streamlined for your clients, a lot of these guys that are running businesses that are maybe at like anywhere from $200,000 a year in revenue to like $500,000 to $600,000, like that seems like a lot of money for people that are just getting into business. But it's not yeah. like these guys are like business gurus or operation, like their operations are like super efficient. Like I've noticed that entrepreneurs can kind of half-ass their way to half a million. Then you could definitely do it better and capture their market share if you just came in with more obsession. Interesting. Okay. Especially when you're starting as an entrepreneur, it feels like, as you said, like 5K uh, MRR is already something really seems very hard to to obtain, you know. But I guess also like a lot of us, like a lot of makers, they don't know much about marketing. So they try to build something. They try to share it on social media. It doesn't work. And then they end up, okay, let's put it on the side because they don't want to focus too much on marketing. So in that way, if someone knows about that and likes that, it's definitely an asset. Tell me about like you started your company. Can you tell me a little bit more about the growth, the progression? How long did it take for you to get there? So I got to 10K per month in 30 days. I got to 40K per month in probably like three or four months. It happened very, very quickly. And I, I am an anomaly in, in this way in, in some regard. Yeah. That's but like crazy. when you're doing like ghostwriting and anything that's more like a high ticket service, you got to think that if you can charge 3000 to 5000 per client to hit like gross revenue, you only need like two or three clients. So the, the real bottleneck for a lot of these um, entrepreneurs who are starting out who might want to hit numbers like that is lead generation. Like lead generation, yeah. I would say, is a new entrepreneur is like the number one bottleneck that people really struggle with. And they try to solve it through like cold, um, cold DMs, cold emails, which I would argue is one of the harder ways to get consistent traffic. And it's very low leverage. What I did instead is like, I hate doing that stuff and never wanted to do it. I went and built connections with the big ghostwriters who were ahead of me that had too much leads and too much traffic. So they were losing money. And I offered them a percentage of MRR in exchange for leads. And the little caveat here is people hear that and then they go, okay, I just got to reach out to the guys ahead of me and they'll give me leads. It's like, well, no, because they're putting their brand on the line. You have to build a connection with those guys. You have to show your credibility. They have to be willing to vouch for you when they like refer business your way. But that would be one of the only shortcuts. Like I was on a call with um, an entrepreneur the other day and I think he's worth like a hundred million. And he said, uh, network and relationships is the only shortcut, even greater than money. And I completely agree because with relationships, you can get capital and you can get money. 
And then yeah. with money, like that's also maybe a shortcut to scale if, if used correctly and things like that. But network and relationships, like quality relationships is the ultimate shortcut to anything in life. Yeah, I mean, that's that's super smart. I've never heard that, that approach before. But I also know that it's not easy to reach out to someone that is leading in the industry, right? Like, how do you do that? Like, you just try to reach out via like LinkedIn, send a message. I think maybe like a contrarian approach to what a lot of people do is I call it like non-needy networking. I always want to like build network from a place of like high value. So I will produce like quality content that I think will resonate with these people. And I'll do it for like three to four months without ever reaching out to these people and be like, okay, once my content is like good enough that maybe they start to take notice, then I'm going to reach out. Like some of the people that I've wanted to network with the most that I was like, I would love to connect with this person. Like they ended up reaching out to me because they seen my content and shouted me out in their newsletters. Interesting. I've taken a very like inbound approach where I'm like, what type of content would I have to create to provide enough value and get these people's attention? And the reason I think that approach can be useful, I'm not saying it's the only way and there are shortcomings to it as well, but where I think it, it can be useful is if you tell yourself like, I can't cold DM these guys, like I need to try to like get notice from them first and then I can reach out and message them once there's like a bit of rapport through content. Mm-hmm. that just like lights a fire under your ass to create higher quality content. Like you can't yeah. use like a, a DM message in your networking skills as a crutch. You now have to use that as fuel to create better content and do better attraction. And I've found that one of the best ways to create that quality of content is to burn the boats and say like, I have to do this through content. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it doesn't work. And that's where you like, you really start to like focus on getting good at content. Let's say I want to follow that strategy. What do I do? Do I identify 10, 5 to 10 people that I believe can uh, connect me to leads somehow, either by sharing my content or by direct, make a direct connection or just giving me leads? And so like 5 to 10 people, and then you study their profiles and you try to figure out what kind of content they would be interested in. And then you just figure out which platforms they use the most and then start creating. Is that like more or less the path to apply the technique? Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty solid one um, going that route. Another thing too is like if you just create quality content and can grow on socials quickly, people will take notice. And when I say grow quickly, um, I mean grow not from cringy content though. Because there is like on any uh, platform, there's like, you know, cat memes for Instagram or there's like Chrome extensions for Twitter. There's always stuff that like can get you to grow quite fast, but you don't garner any brand or respect from like Mm -hmm. top creators. I just noticed that any creator who's able to like shake up the space and like grow relatively quickly in a meaningful way with like quality content and unique perspectives, that alone will attract a lot of people because they'll, uh, they'll reach out to the people who are on the up and be like, yo, I want to trade with you or like, yo, like if I'm someone who like takes notice of you now, like that looks good on my brand because you're going to be a big account like later on. Yeah. And yeah. you really start to see more of that too. So the strategy that you mentioned is like, that's one way to do it. Like a very good way to do it too is like talk about similar stuff from your own perspective because you know that you're going to be appealing to that person. And yeah. you can also just try to grow really quickly if you understand marketing and the content game well enough because other people will take notice if you can crack that code. Yeah. I guess you already knew that before starting your company, right? Because in one month to grow to 10K, which is absurd, it's such a great growth. I guess you already had cultivated those relationships, right? 
Yes, hundred percent. That's true. Um, one thing that I'll say to, because a lot of people are maybe like eighteen or they're in high school, they're in their early twenties, and they're trying to get these businesses off the ground. Is uh, I, my business like didn't succeed? I didn't have like a truly like quote unquote successful business, if you want to call it that, until I was twenty eight years old. Like I failed rigorously in my twenties. Yeah. Like I worked as a college teacher, and I, I learned a lot of like great skills. Um, I tried podcasting and I failed at that. I did real estate investing. I seen like some successes and some major losses in that. Um, I've done like different jobs, like sales jobs. Um, I've, I've really done a lot of skill acquisition. So when people look at me and they're like, Oh my God, the growth was like so fast and you built your business so quickly. It's like, well, I also did like a decade of skill stacking (laughs) and like failures first. And then I happened to finally align myself with the right vehicle that worked with my mindset and the right network and every, all the stars kind of aligned. But um, there's a lot of failures before that. Like I would argue guys that are like 23 years old and have done it a different way or like they're still ahead of me. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. No, that's, that's so true. When you see someone growing often you don't see like the time and the efforts and the tears and the sweat that it took for them to to get there right so you they only start uh popping up in your radar when they are already successful right uh, and we assume that it's fast but quite often it takes years and a lot of people that have interviewed in the podcast they you can see that they failed a lot even when they say they didn't or just say yeah i didn't that that project didn't count whatever like it counted it, they they learned something from podcast whatever like building a website trying to figure out a bunch of things so definitely you reach that first growth. Your first successful business then is ghostly your first yeah. really successful business. Yeah, like I I've seen some decent success in real estate, but I, I don't wouldn't consider myself like a, a great like real estate entrepreneur. But I'd say ghostly is the first one where I felt like ah, we actually achieved something meaningful. Mm-hmm. Is it fully bootstrapped or did you get like some money? Did you have to raise it or it's bootstrapped, yeah. Fully bootstrapped. So that's something that I'm very passionate about. I love bootstrap businesses. Like a lot of things in the podcast are, are about that. And now I'm what I'm trying to figure out is okay, the first part, like the grinding and the roller coaster and trying to gather the skills and understanding of business to somehow get a paycheck. It's very interesting, tough journey. And what I reckon now is that once you get that paycheck, the journey completely changes. And my first question is, what was the first thing that you noticed that changed in, in your mindset, in your mental health, once you reached that 10K and then you saw that, okay, it's growing, this is a business. Do you remember something that actually changed in your, the way of you, like seeing life and living life? Yeah. You know, identity usually legs reality by quite a few months. For me, I actually don't find it uh, It did a whole lot of good in the beginning. If anything, it just made me more anxious and stressed and that gives a lot more pressure. Like when you're used to failing, like imagine you fail for a decade, right? It becomes very hard to not attach that failure to your identity. You're like, I start a business and I fail. And you start to like predict your own failure. And then you finally have something work. You kind of like psychologically don't really know what to do with that. You're like, wait, so yeah. like I'm the person who always fails, but like now I'm succeeding. So am I the person who can succeed? And like, what about sustained success? Like maybe, you know, I, I think that I'm a failure for the, or a success, sorry, for the next three months, but then my whole business is going to fail and I'm going to lose all my leads. So like, wait, now can I sustain success? Can I, wait, can I continue to scale? Like 10K was one yeah. thing, but like, can I scale? And then you, your skills and your, your way of like living in the world and being starts to be tested. It's like, oh, well now I'm at 40K, but I don't have the consistency and the habits to like maintain this without breaking my mental health. 
So now you're like tested to not only scale your business, but to become someone new. And that rubs your identity even more. And you're like, well, no, I'm not the guy who works like 10 hours a day. I'm not the guy who is like really on top of things or like, I'm not like a manager. I'm not a CEO. And like your identity gets challenged a lot. And I found it wasn't until I was in, I I think ghosty has been around now for about 12 months. We just hit our Mm -hmm. like one year anniversary a little while ago. It wasn't until running it for a year that my identity started to catch up and I started to be like, oh no, like I am a different person now. My lifestyle is yeah. different. Like I'm now hanging out. Like I just went to Miami um, the other week with uh, my co-founder and, and Dakota and we met up with some entrepreneurs who run like $10 million businesses wow. and like met up with this guy who worked with Tony Robbins for like five years mm. and we're like hanging out with them. Like it's just normal and they're coming to us and we're like chatting content. And like, I never used to do that before I ran this ghostly like agency, like that would have seemed like, so something else. And then I went to the Bahamas and now I'm like living in Panama. And after a while, there's just so much evidence that your mind can't like say that it's not real anymore. I'm like, okay, I have a year's worth of evidence that like, this is my new life. Even if it was to all fail and I lost everything, I have the skills and the network to build it all back up in three to six months. Like this is just my new life now, but it uh let's just say it was like a whole year of like struggle personal identity change imposter syndrome fear of failure fear of like not being able to sustain success fear of my competitors outpacing me like it was wow. uh, it was yeah. more of a i'm going through all of that positive. it's so interesting yeah i think it's interesting how money can validate a person right because what i feel was so with my with my project pot squeeze Again, also like I've I've been doing this for like 10, more than 10 years, trying a bunch of projects didn't work. And then, but I've been learning, right? I've been learning and I feel like, especially with the podcast interviewing a bunch of people, I feel that I've been learning more and more about entrepreneurship. And when I compare myself with someone that is just beginning, I used to think, okay, I know what they are doing wrong, but how can I prove it? Because I'm not successful. I enter money, like don't have any successful business. But then... You get one that actually works in one month or two, three months, it changes everything. And suddenly people look at, then you start sharing your revenue. If you do this build in public on Twitter, et cetera, people start validating you like, wait, this person like actually knows what he's doing. But like in your mind, nothing changed. Like it's just a a couple of months. So I totally understand that. Like suddenly you're thinking, no, not used to be a fail, but I never succeeded. Nothing changed. But now suddenly everyone expects me to get this company to uh, keep growing. And it's hard to manage what you said it that a while for you to do so, mainly because it also takes a while, I guess, for your brain to get used to that. Is there any other techniques or some reading or something that changed your mind? Like how did your mind gradually change towards accepting that now you have a successful business? Anytime you're going through a transformation, whether it be personal or like business related or identity related, it, it just takes time for you to stack so much evidence against the contrary belief that you're like you're holding so for me like after a year of running a business like working as a full-time entrepreneur meeting these people like eventually you're just like oh yeah like i am this person the only shortcut i found which this probably is what helped me because it's not a coincidence that i started to feel more into this new identity after i did this was i did um ayahuasca in the costa rican jungle for three days and then i did mdma therapy as well and i found those two things Although like psychedelics and drugs get like a bad rap, I found using Mm -hmm. them with um, an intentional purpose for personal transformation and identity change to be extremely useful. And that I think fast tracked 
Um, that fast That's tracked me by probably like yeah. quite a few months or a year. The ayahuasca, especially, I think fast tracked my identity change. But I would say like without psychedelics, I don't want to say like, oh yeah, just go do psychedelics to overcome your imposter syndrome and your anxiety. That's not what I'm saying. But um, you you can do it if you're willing to open your mind to a new way of being is maybe the right word. Like your thoughts are going to change. Your actions are going to change and it's going to feel uncomfortable at first, but just like continue to lean into these new habits and be uncomfortable. Yeah. It will eventually shift. Can you tell me how the ayahuasca experienced shaped your mind? Yeah. So ayahuasca is, it's like mushrooms, right? It's, it's psychedelic is somehow similar to mushrooms or this kind of experience. No. I thought it made mushrooms look kind of like child's play. Like Aya is like one of the most intense psychedelics you could do like okay. in the world. It's it's pretty hardcore. But I don't want to say that to like scare people either. It just is like a very intense type of drug or medicine as they call it. What what I would say this is with any psychedelic, like ayahuasca or anything, if you look at it from an intentional therapeutic uses. So let's mm -hmm. imagine that you're you're going through your life and you've never really questioned anything. You have like these certain habits that your parents passed on to you, certain thoughts that you've always believed. And, you know, as Joe Dispenza says, like predictable past, predictable future. Like if you're always doing if you're doing what you've always done, you're just going to continue to get what you always got. So you're stuck in like a habit and thought pattern heading in one direction, right? Right. You do a psychedelic like ayahuasca or even like MDMA therapy or something, and your thoughts and your state of being are like forced to be different. Like for the first time, maybe in your life, you were a medicine is going to be like, whoa, you're going to think something you never knew was possible. You're going to do yeah. something and be a person that you never knew was possible. And now you have so that frame of reference in your mind. Like it's almost like a door opened after the second night, especially. I had never felt more confident, assured of myself, purpose-driven, and motivated in my life. Like, I felt, like, solid like a rock. Like, no one could have rocked my confidence, like, in that state. And even though when I came back, regular life kind of kicked me out of that state, but the difference is now I remember what it was like to feel that way. I remember what I thought. I remember how I felt. I remember how I moved through the world when I mm. felt like that. And I can go back there. It's just that now I have to do the work to make that my default state. So like, how do I think those thoughts more often? How do I live? What kind of habits do I need to feel that way without the medicine? And so I, I like the analogy that some therapists use with psychedelic medicine. They say it opens the door, but it doesn't walk through the door for you. Mm -hmm. So like once that door is open, it's like, you know, you've kind of like walked through it and then you've come back yeah. and you can just walk yeah, through it yeah. again. So it kicks you out of all those patterns. It get, shows yeah. you that you can be someone new. It breaks your limiting beliefs. Like it just cracks it wide open. And that's how mm -hmm. I found it was really useful was just to be like, okay, you could be this person. Now just that's your choice. Go be that person. You know how to do it now. So it helped you somehow to kick out the imposter syndrome in a, while, yeah. in a bit. Or do you still have it a bit? I think you always have it. Like I here to be a myth of imposter syndrome is people are just like, oh yeah, one day your imposter syndrome is going to go away. It's like, no, the, the reason that you're feeling the imposter syndrome, you can overcome that. So let's say I build a $500,000 company and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm not the person who could build this company and I have imposter syndrome. But then I get used to being like, oh no, this is normal for me now. But what yeah. about when I build a $3 million company? What about when I all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I want to incorporate video and I'm like, well, I'm not really good on camera. You're just going to always have imposter syndrome when you try something new. So I think it's less about 
like overcoming it in one particular domain. It's more about just knowing that whenever you're going to do something new, you're never going to feel ready or qualified to do it. Mm -hmm. And like, you just need to fail forward. And, you know, I don't even like the word failure anymore, to be honest. I prefer just like test and iterate because that's all that it Mm -hmm. really is. Like, like even content, you could say like, I post a piece of content and it failed. It's like, or you could say, Hey, I'm trying to have more miss or more hits per month than misses. So yeah inevitably I have to test stuff and then iterate on my tests. I have to know what works and what mm. doesn't like that's, I think test and iterate is better than failure. And if you just do that forward, like you'll always encounter imposter syndrome, but it just won't yeah. hold you back. That's really what also like moves or brings success in life, isn't it? I, I feel that entrepreneurship, but I guess in everything with relationships and everything in life. But if you think about entrepreneurship, a lot of like people that succeed in entrepreneurship is when they do this 12 on 12. So 12 months, 12 startups. And like Peter Levels did that. And a lot of people did this. That what the only thing that makes you like puts you in this mindset of it's okay to like stop something or to fail and start something new. Eventually you learn from things that did not work. You apply it, reapply it, reapply it, and suddenly you'll find success. And that's, yeah. I think I'm, I'm convinced that's one of the best ways to find the success is to just be okay with, the quote-unquote failure, which I like when you said it, it's not failure. But it, we are taught that, yeah, failure, is, it's a bad thing that we should always insist, even when think is not stuff is not working out. And I see, I think that's probably one of the, the main reasons why a lot of people fail to break through the first part of entrepreneurship. It's because they're like, no, I want to insist that, you know, this is bringing a little bit of money. So it, it might one day bring a lot of money. So I'll just keep on pushing and pushing, but pushing without adapting, just pushing and doing the same thing will get you nowhere, right? Yeah, hundred percent, man. Like if you really think about failure and you just like actually gave me these thoughts, I never thought about this before was, you know, like there's, there's failure from like um, the tribe or like other people. It's like their perception of you is failure. And if yeah. that affects your mental health and like you hold on to that, you give it too much value and too much clarity, it might like affect how you feel, it might affect your performance. But then there's also the idea of like you seeing yourself as a failure and if you just expand your time horizons, like it goes away. Like Hermosi says that all the time, but it's so true. Like you could call that perspective. If I look at myself on like a day-to-day basis, like I have to have a piece of content win and go viral every day or I'm a failure. It's like, okay, that's like a pretty rigorous like measuring stick. Yeah. And I'm probably going to see mm-hmm. myself as a failure. But if I expand my time horizons and say, I just need to have content that is consistently hitting every week and every month so i'm building a brand up in the pause in the right direction because it's impossible for me to hit with every piece of content and i no longer see that not going viral every day is a failure but i see it as a test to learn more and to grow like it just doesn't affect your mental health like you don't attach it to your identity like never say like i am a failure because that's that's one of like the worst things you could do yeah, for yeah, like your yeah, internal yeah. dialogue and how you talk to yourself. Like that would be, that'll just ruin anybody. Yeah. It's a very interesting mindset shift one has to make to become like their own boss, you know, because you need to figure out all of these tricks and you figure out a lot about yourself as well. One thing that I'm also interested to figure out is how do like indie companies work? Because we know a lot about VC backed companies. I mean, there's movies about it. There's like tons of material, books and podcasts and everything. And those are like today's superstars, like Elon Musk, Zuckerberg's, whatever. Now they want to fight. Woo, amazing. So like those are the, the people that me being a person that loves business and entrepreneurship, I grew up admiring that and thinking, okay, that's what, that's the only way, but I never really connected with that. And then I found about bootstrapping, uh, indie hacking, and I love this because it gives you much more freedom. 
as I'm going and as I'm finding some success with with my company as well, I'm trying to figure out like what next, right? Because I've I've reached this, I, I'm able to pay my bills, but now do I want to just like crush everyone? Do I want to just make more and more money? What should I prioritize now? And I would love to to hear your thoughts on this. Like, wh- what are your goals and your what do you prioritize the most uh, with Ghostly? So, what are my goals? You know, I heard this again from another entrepreneur that I I wrote for him. I was very lucky. I got to get consulting from him. I think he ran like a hundred million dollar marketing agency, and he said, um, you know, some businesses are just stepping stones. Like that's that's all they are. He's like, because mm-hmm. everyone thinks like, oh, I need to like. I need to be like Tesla. I need to scale this up over like 10 to 20 years and become this like big. No, you don't. It's like for me, like my marketing agency is not something that I'm going to scale to like a a global insane product. It's a stepping stone business. It's I'm learning marketing. I'm learning operations. I'm learning scale, expanding my network, doing um, service-based business where I'm very, it's like done for you. So like I'm doing this like for the client and that's the model that I'm learning. And it's taught me a lot of skills. It's um, helped me escape, well, quote unquote, the first level of the matrix, because I have mm-hmm. some level of location and financial freedom with my earning potential. And I don't have um, an earning cap because the more clients I bring on, the more scale I do, the more money I can make, which is incredible. So it's a great self-improvement vehicle in that way. But do I think it's like the really big end goal business that I want to scale? Like, no. Like as someone who was a university or a college teacher, for like five or six years, I really love education and synthesizing knowledge and learning. Like if I was honest with myself about where my true passion lies, it's in educating people, consuming knowledge, but finding better ways for people to remember it easier, finding different analogies that make it easier to understand, synthesizing it into with like other knowledge in ways that is more useful than it is on its own. Like those types of businesses, like e-learning businesses are something I'm very passionate about right now and decentralized education. I feel like an emotional pull, uh, a positive emotional pull in that direction with passion. I really want to move into that and even become more of a creator or maybe like more intention and more effort on the creator side of my business Mm -hmm. where can I create better content? Can I write better hooks? Can I be putting in maybe 10, 20% more effort to creating better content in general and really stand out as a creator because that's a tough thing to do. Like a creator capturing attention, holding attention is very hard. I think that's mm-hmm. a meaningful challenge that I could build a business around. From there, you know, I, I don't know. Like I'm open to it changing as I get more inputs, more information. I meet new people, new doors open. Um, I walk down these paths. Maybe I fail, maybe I don't. Like just test different things and see what happens. But the, the number one thing I would say for any entrepreneur, like if they're in a similar boat to myself and they're trying to figure out what to do is like without clarity, you just like can't move. Like you need clarity on a direction. And if you don't have it, be willing just to like iterate and test and see like in in your case, it's like, yeah, okay. You could scale your business. Like, do you have any emotional pull to do that? Whether positive or negative, doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. which one people want the passion, but you don't need the passion. It's like, if you're just like, Oh, I need to crush my competitors. Like I'm pissed that they're ahead of me. Or you're like, I need to make like 3 million a year. Like I'm pissed. I don't have it. Like if you have that fuel, then scale it, but also Mm -hmm. be aware that maybe it's not the most useful vehicle to scale. Maybe there's higher leverage, like other businesses that would scale faster that you have opportunities to scale with other partners. Like, I don't know. It's, it's so unique to the individual, but you need Mm -hmm. clarity around what you want to do and where you want to go. Right. I guess sometimes you don't know if your drive comes from yourself or from what you see outside. 
right? Because it's a very competitive entrepreneurship and economy is very competitive. The goal is always like get more and more and more and more. And that's like how a lot of the companies, most companies work really. Just like keep growing, keep growing. If you, as a CEO, show the projections, you'll be like, yeah, you will be the same. And maybe even go a little bit down. Everyone like, okay, fire this CEO, All right? So the idea is always keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. And I think it's natural that a lot of us think, okay, now I just need to keep growing. But... Maybe that's not what I personally want, right? But it's interesting, like, how do you distinguish what you want and what you are made to believe that you want, right? Yeah, you know, it's that's a really tough question. And I would say it comes from, like, actually experiencing things. Like, Mark Manson has this quote where he says, you have to try on different beliefs. For me, like, I thought I was going to scale Ghostly to a $1 to $3 million company. And we scaled it up to 70 k per month. And I hated it. I was just like, okay. our systems of scale are breaking, the amount of clients that we have, the amount of management. Like, I'm, My co-founder and I agreed we were not enjoying the business anymore, and we did not have enough of a negative emotional drive to want to do better in that particular vehicle of business. So we took it as far as we went until we're like, this is not for us, Like, which is very different <laughs> than sitting there and saying, oh, yeah, like we could... I don't know, maybe we'll scale this thing to 1 million. Maybe we'll scale it to three. Like, we'll see. It's like, why don't you just like try doing it? <laughs> see yeah. how far you get and see if you get, um, if you feel like you've gone too far. Because mm-hmm. we, after we did that, we backed our scale off to around like 40K per month. And then to redo our systems, we backed it off even further. And now we're yeah. thinking about scaling again, but keeping it at a consistent like 50K per month. Because we're like, we can manage that. It's healthy, good cash flow. We can mm-hmm. then use that cash flow to fund other businesses that have higher points of leverage, are more of done with you models instead of done for you. So we have a different customer um, experience, a different expectation from the customer mm-hmm. altogether. And we're more passionate about that. But the only reason we have that clarity is because we actually did it. Like so many people are like stuck in thoughts. They're like, should I do this? Should I do that? It's like, it is better for you just to do something than to sit around all day thinking about what you should do. Like people are so worried about going in the wrong direction and realizing that it like wasn't what they wanted to do because then they feel like it was a waste of time. Gaining clarity is never a waste of time. Mm. Never. Just move. Just do something. How does it feel to, you know, scale to 70K and then reduce that? you know, making less money because I feel that like you want to drive your Lambo, right? So doesn't like, don't you feel like, ah, oh, man, but now I'm making less money. How do you deal with that? Well, again, it's, it's time horizons, right? So if you look at it on like a month to month basis, yeah, you might be like, well, crap, like I was so close to the Lambo and all this stuff. But I, I have this, uh, this thought that like beliefs like come in pairs because they constrain. So for example, if I'm like, hey, I really want to get a $3 million per year business. If that was the only like criteria, then I, yeah. I would have just scaled ghostly and like bit the bullet. But I'm like, okay, I want to get $3 million per year, but I want to have more leverage and service-based businesses only had leverage if I could delegate better. And I didn't like that form of leverage, which was uh, what would be called team or cooperation leverage. I want more um, code-based leverage through content. So then I have to change the model. So the second I wanted more leverage, I'm like, hmm, this, this might get me to 3 million if I scale, but it doesn't give me the leverage piece. I don't get the lifestyle piece that I want, where I have less headaches, less client problems. Right. Leverage means to have more freedom, more control over your life. Is that it? Leverage means having asymmetric outputs to your inputs. So um, right. for example, if you go work at like McDonald's, 
and you work like eight hours and you get eight hours of pay, you have no leverage. Mm -hmm. If you were to create a product, like let's say like a digital product that you could sell like a course and you create it once, but it can be sold infinitely for like the next five years. Now you've like spent the time to make the product once, but the output continues to compound and grow. And service-based industries for me, the only point of leverage is that I can hire people to do the work for me, but then I still have to manage the people. And if those people quit, who has to come in and do the work? I do. So then, you know, it's a very, it's it's also like a risk profile assessment. It's like in the service-based business, I'm accumulating more risk as I scale to 3 million. Where if I change the vehicle altogether to e-learning, I can scale to 3 million with less risk and more leverage. And that's when I was like, okay, let's expand the time horizon to three years. Maybe I don't make 3 million this year, but if I make it in three years at higher leverage, I win. And that was where I was like, it didn't bother me at all to take the pay cut because I'm still fine. Yeah, because the goal is not only money, right? Is money plus lifestyle or plus this leverage. And that's what I've been seeing as well when I I just had a nice chat as well with Tony Dean. And he basically told me the same. So he wants to beat the other competitors. He wants to grow, but he he also wants to keep his like lifestyle and, and his time and the freedom. Dude, for sure. You got to know how you're built. Like there's people um, and entrepreneurs I know that are so driven to annihilate the competition and be like a conqueror, like a modern day conqueror yeah, where they're yeah. like, I built this incredibly big business. I dominate the competition. I wear my suits. I drive nice cars. And they're like, I am someone who is significant and important in society because I'm a conqueror. And like power to them. I just think there's less of those people than people think. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like, hey, we want to have like some level of freedom. We want to make good money. We want to be able to like live life a little bit more on our terms. We want to spend more time with our family. We want to create more opportunity for them. We want to travel the world more. We want to have like maybe more safety and security with our investments in the future. Like your why can be whatever in alignment with you. It could even be impact. It could be, you know, I've heard other entrepreneurs say once I made 30,000 per month, business just became the measuring stick for self-improvement. That's great. I think that's a great reason to scale a business is like you need to be growing somewhere. There's that whole thing. If you're not growing, you're dying. And you said something about how businesses always need to be growing. I would argue that businesses don't always need to be growing, but a person always has to be growing in a specific domain. And some people just choose to do it in business for their entire life. Other people will do business for 10 years and then they'll go and become as jacked as humanly possible and they'll push their business. That's very interesting. You know, you you have to just be growing somewhere and business. That's that's why Elon Musk wants to fight Zuckerberg now, maybe somehow, you know, (laughs) you know, grow the physical way. Yeah. I was like, someone just shared a tweet from Peter Levels with me where someone asked like, dude, you're making already 2 million ARR. Like why keep building products? And he says like, it's not about the money. It's actually about the growth. I don't want to stop using my brain because if I do, it's like a muscle and I won't keep exercising it. Recently, Coldplay, so I, I'm based in Portugal, and Coldplay came here and like, it was nuts. People were like, yeah, Coldplay, it's amazing. And I, I went to the concert. It was a good, a good gig. But then I was thinking, man, they have so much money. Why do they keep doing this? Uh, it's definitely not for the money. But I guess now I realize this is because what you just said, people just want to keep growing as a person. They want to keep working their brains out, you know? So um, that's very, very interesting point. Could even, I could try uh, framing it this way. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you don't have a lot of money, a lot of the biggest problems in your life stem from money. And because the biggest problems stem from money, 
a lot of your negative emotion comes from a lack of money, right? A lot of your like mm-hmm. lack of self-worth, a lack of confidence. Maybe you're struggling to like put food on the table. Maybe your friends make more and they're going on incredible trips and you can't afford to go and you feel this FOMO. Right. You want to live in like a nicer place and not live with roommates, but you don't make the money. Like all of these things like affect your identity and your your mental health and they just they're a big problems. What people don't realize when they don't have money versus the people that have it is after a while, the money stops solving these problems. And you end up with different problems. So you eliminate all those. And like humans, we just evolved to always need a problem to solve. Like otherwise we would just die, right? It's part of our evolution. It's part of human nature. So when your problems no longer come from money, the next problem you have is like fulfillment. Am I enjoying life? Do I enjoy like being around myself? Do I enjoy like what I'm doing day to day? And like then you have a different problem. And sometimes those problems are solved by just pushing yourself more and more in business Cause you need something to do. Like, dude, I sometimes think about this where if I don't want to work, sometimes I'm like, what the hell am I going to do if I don't work? Yeah. Like, am I going to watch Netflix? Like, okay, well, I'm yeah, not going to feel good it. about myself. I watch Netflix. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to play video games. Like, well, no, that, that's not moving my life forward. I'm not growing. Am I going to sit here and read? It's like, okay, well, reading is great. I enjoy reading, but too much of it is just a form of procrastination. Like at some point I'm like, I just need something meaningful to do. And business happens to be one of those things. So like, yeah. why, why not just do that? And then it's that a becomes passion. a habit. And once it's yeah. a habit, you can't turn it off. Yeah, it's passion mm-hmm. as well, 100%. Yeah. We don't do this because we have to, right? We do it because we like to do it. So I totally agree with you. Yeah, I think that's also a great point to finish our conversation. Thank you so much, Celine, for chatting here with the wannabe entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, man. No, of course. It's been fun. Thank you very much. And this is the end of another Wannabe Entrepreneur interview. If you liked it, make sure to share it with all of your indie hacker friends. If you have suggestions or want to send me a message, do so at WBTiago on Twitter. And if you want to support this podcast, we don't do any sponsorships, so you can join our community for indie makers. It costs $10 per month, but you will be able to meet makers from all around the world. So if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling that being a solo founder is getting a bit tough, join us and you'll feel much, much better. This was another wannabe entrepreneur. See you next time.